Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the second season of Little Revolutions. For those of you who haven't been with us on this journey, this is a podcast about how we live in a world that isn't built for all of us. We talk about the problems that are so much bigger than any one of us, problems that are systemic, and problems that impact the ways in which we live, we love, we work, and we get through the everyday. We talk to people who have been working through these problems in a very public space, and we learn from them, and we learn from their journeys, the little revolutions that have helped them navigate and overcome and work through being a human in this very messy world. On today's episode, I spoke with Sabrina Dorealba. He is an activist, an actor, a model, an entrepreneur. She's basically done it all and is doing it all. At the end of this episode, it felt like Sabrina was one of my oldest and dearest friends. She's warm, she's wise, she's funny, and she's so incredibly relatable. And we talked about what it is to be a woman, an immigrant, a woman of color, someone who is sometimes defined by the people in their lives, and so much more. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Seema. Thank you for having me. It's about time. (laughs) We've been teasing this conversation. I know. Um, So to get us started, we don't like to define people. So we let people define themselves, which means I'm going to let you introduce yourself however you like to introduce yourself. Oh my God, I don't know if I ever have. That's so funny. Well, my name is Sabrina Dore Elba. I like to call myself a humanitarian and an activist. And yeah, that's probably how I would introduce myself. (laughs) So you have done so much interesting work in so many different spaces, which is part of the reason I wanted to bring you in here, because I feel like your experience spans so many different sectors in terms of your journey. And I'm all over the place. In a good way, though. (laughs) Yeah, in the best best way, in a way that I'm most thankful for, because over the past six years, I've had like the opportunity to experience so much that I, I think it's expanded my, my soul, my brain, my way of thinking in, in ways that I never would have thought. So I feel so, so lucky. And how do you decide what to do next? I feel at this point, um, the work decides for you, we, particularly when it comes to a lot of the philanthropic work we do, there's so much need and every day it feels there's something out of our control, particularly when it comes to climate or another catastrophe that, it kind of decides for you. So we tend to go and shift where our energy is needed. You have modeled, you've been an actor, you've, you're an entrepreneur. Funny, I wouldn't call myself a model or an actor, but I have, I have done these things. You have yes. done these things, so you own the, <laughs> you own the label, right? Yeah. It's funny where so many people who come on this podcast, I will do this, where I'll say the things they've done, they're like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Right, 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 right. I mean, it's, so, you, it's a good point. How do we define ourselves rather than letting others define us, right? And I think it has to do with how do you want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. I love fashion, but I don't want to be remembered as a model. I want to be remembered for somebody who... And not to say that models can't, but a profession that had given back or, you know, done something or tried to do something. <laughs> it's, that's a really smart way of thinking about it. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I'll credit you for it, but I'm going to use that. Um, so when you're thinking about the type of activism you're doing or the type of activism you want to be doing, there's so much that's broken in the world. I'm going to just dive right in. There's so much that's broken in the world and it can feel so overwhelming 
to know where to start and how to use your power and how to use your voice. And I'm curious about when you've thought about it, not that it has to be one answer for the rest of your life or even this season, right? It's figuring out what's right right now. How, like, what is, what is your thought process in that? Like, how are you thinking through, this is what I want to do. This is, this is where I can best use myself and my power. Yeah, it's been a bit of a personal struggle in the sense that you start to carry a level of guilt, realizing you can't be everywhere at once, but also realizing the extent uh, of, of the crises we have going on and you know the seriousness and gravity that so many people are are living in and to you know look at that next to the luxury sometimes that you know we can afford ourselves in the global north I, I think a lot of the guilt maybe comes from that but also the fact of knowing that or feeling oh I can do more I can do more and then realizing oh well that may spread you a bit thin sometimes um, because you know, try to take it upon myself that if I do commit to anything and if I do champion anything, that I can give it 100% of my attention um, when I'm there and in the moment, particularly when I'm visiting people in rural areas, you need to be completely present to understand what somebody's going through. So I find that it has been a bit of a personal struggle. I do find focusing in on things where I have a bit more of an understanding or an experience um, or trying to, you know, decide okay well I will build under build understanding in this area does help benefit me because I think you education is so important you can never go into an issue thinking that you know everything because you don't and everyone's voice matters so everyone's opinion is different uh, so I think trying to expand your knowledge in a certain area will help dictate the things that you can focus on um, for instance you know I love agriculture I'm starting to work in agriculture but I have so much to learn about international development and how that works you know, one of the reasons I'm going back to school just to take international development for my master's to be able to further educate myself on the, the logistics and red tape around, you know, supporting some of the people that we support. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's it's also like agriculture is literally like food and it's how we how yeah. we sustain ourselves. But it's such a unsexy thing generally, right? Like people absolutely. don't think about, I want to make the world better. Let me get into agriculture. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you did. And like, how did you get to that point? But I had that same thought. I had agriculture. <laughs> like, you know, how does that work? But it was because my mom grew up in a pastoral lifestyle. She understood how important it was to be able to live off the land that you live on in rural areas and how important the informal markets are. And when I realized that agriculture actually relates like, you know, gender, climate, food security, Security. these things are so interconnected I realized oh my gosh you know it's a really really great place to start a lot of the work I do also tries to sort of look at alternatives to the aid model you know because I think there is a time and place for aid and and a hurricane comes a disaster comes we need immediate relief but how do we break these cycles so that people feel that they can support themselves um, you know by building job opportunities by building infrastructure and investment and that that's the kind of work I'm interested in now and that's the type of work that you can achieve through sectors like agriculture it's so what was it for you was it your mom like what was it for you where that clicked in your brain where you were like oh 
the, the dots all connect and actually this is a space where I can start to look from the ground up at what needs to be changed as opposed to like putting the band-aid on the problem and thinking that we're solving it. Looking at the ground up, I love that I should use that, no pun intended, right? Because it, you know, I'd heard about it all my life and my family grew up in that same way. You know, my mom had seven siblings, my uncles and aunts constantly talk about, oh, we used to herd camels and we used to, you know, and they're from Somalia in a very rural, rural area in Somalia. But I think it wasn't until we did my first EFAD trip, which was in Sierra Leone, Leone, uh, 2019, just before the pandemic, um, after the Ebola pandemic there, right, which people don't talk about enough. Um, And the irony was that we didn't realize we were about to go into a global pandemic. So seeing how agriculture uh, and EFAD had helped alleviate some of the issues that were happening post Ebola, but even pre, because they'd been there before. I mean, they were one of the last agencies standing. Um, You know, they helped kind of resolve some of the issues around uh, access and transport um, because everything shut down. And, you know, in places where we have a safety blanket, they absolutely had none. That trip opened my eyes, hearing the stories from the farmers themselves, seeing all of the sectors that agriculture touched. I I had no idea. And I think a lot of us don't because we don't talk about our food systems or where we get our food enough. We're so used to and so you know coddled by supermarkets that have everything at every time of year, not realizing, you know, like some of the green beans we're picking up at Mark and Spencer's comes from an area in Kenya, which I used to love to visit. I had no idea. By the way, also the pesticides they ban here, they're still using in that area. Like, I mean, it's just, just, you learn so much actually visiting. And I think it wasn't until I did that visit that I realized, oh, wow, there's a lot here. There's a lot. It also sounds like, so you mentioned the pandemic, which is obviously a global pandemic, right? And even with Ebola, it spread out. And the, for me, at least, it was a realization again, like I've bounced around the world a lot, grown up around the world, and it was like, oh yes, we're all interconnected. And then you look at food yeah. and like, we're all interconnected, right? Those green beans from Kenya showing up right. in your local Marks and Spencer. It's a, it's a reminder of like, yes, we are all part of the same system. Yeah. And what I hope that does is remind people that everyone should have access to the same things if we're all benefiting off the same things. There's such a disparity. It's an injustice in the world that the people in these rural areas who contribute so much receive so little. And that injustice makes me want to just do more because it's you see it every day. It, I mean, there's a complete uh, lack of awareness when it comes to the interconnectivities. But you just have to open your eyes and think about where your food comes from. Think about where any product comes from. Think about the, you know, the supply chain in a way that benefits some and doesn't others. And then you start to go, okay, well, you know, there's a little lack of fairness here. (laughs) Lack of fairness, yeah. Lack of fairness is an easy way to put it. Deep injustice, yeah. Deep injustice. It's also like, it's interesting because at least in, in my world, like you look at farming and we both live in London and it's like a, it's a city, right? Where we're not in like in the farms in the north of England. Or you look at like, at least in my experience, like the very hipster, no waste places, which are out of most people's price range. It's yeah. it's like it's cool to care. And that's great. It's it's great that it's cool to care. But it's, it's not also, always affordable. It's not affordable, it's not accessible, and it feels really far away. I hear from, that a lot. Yeah. For sure. I hear and you know, even in my own life, it's completely relatable. But I think there are certain things that we can all do. Spread that awareness, share your voice in the issue. 
you know, look for local markets, you know, the, the maybe unattractive fruits, <laughs> you know, there, there are little shifts we can all make. And it's of course understandable that big systems need to change before we can ask so much of the individual person. And I always say, you know, people will turn around and say, well, are you vegan or are you? And it's like, okay, sure. That that's one way you can frame the question. Let's ask each other and keep uh, a level of, you know, um, responsibility towards each other by asking these questions. But then let's look at how we can change the people who are really empowered to make bigger moves. And that's why I love, you know, some of the agencies that we work with, Global Citizen, for instance, ask people to lend their voice to send a tweet, to write a letter, to make a call. Those are actually some of the most powerful things we can do when it comes to these issues, just to be able to share that level of frustration, <laughs> however you want to share it, whether social media be your outlet or, you know, in a way, um, you know, we can all be our own activists. Uh, and I think learning that has really shifted my perspective. And it's, you know, some people will call it finger wagging or finger pointing, but I think it's just holding each other accountable in a way that doesn't put anyone down, but actually lifts people up. How do you have those conversations? Because I, I love that framing of like everyone can be an activist and it's it's just in conversation. It doesn't have to be like this grand gesture always. If, you know, when people say use your voice, like the image in my mind is always like, let's go and protest somewhere. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. Which is such a big, it's, it's a small thing. It's it's a part of democracy, but it's also like such a big thing, right? Like yeah. to go out and protest. And Yeah, it, but it, actually the biggest way you could probably use your voice is to look at where you spend your money. You know, like we forget how powerful our pockets are when it comes to big brands. Being a consumer is like, you know, sitting at a on a throne. You have such a sway, such an opinion. And, you know, and sometimes it doesn't need to be shouting at someone else about it. It could be analyzing and, and self-reflecting on what you can do. But you're right. I, I mean, it's become such a, a hot topic, particularly when it comes to climate. You know, I hear um, even in the fast fashion conversation, people say, well, when you're looking at a single mother you know, who can only afford so much, how do you then ask her to buy into luxury, which is technically, or some, you know, in some ways more sustainable, if she can't afford it. But those aren't the people, those aren't the case studies we're looking at when we're talking about the abuse of fast fashion and how that's contributed to the climate crisis, right? So I think, you know, these conversations can happen in parallel. People tend to put them in black and white. It's not this way or that way, or, you know, this injustice leads to that one. It's about how do we then work together and how do we all make compromises and shifts in the right direction. It also just makes it feel much more manageable of like, we all have some power, but the kind of power we all have is different. And maybe the amount of power we all have is different, right? But we all have some power. So we, we have to use the power that we do have and not like be penalized for not having more power to do more, which often seems like <laughs> the easy way out of like actually making any change is saying like, well, you didn't change the law. So sorry, like you're not yeah. enough. Yeah, it's so true. It's remembering the small step. That's such a good point. I mean, I even feel that sometimes in my own work. I'm like, oh, I couldn't get this legislation passed. Or like, no, they didn't sign that. Or do you know? It's, but those are, of course, great wins. Like sometimes when we're sitting in our bylaws and we have like great wins, I'm so excited. I'm telling everyone I know, but I need to remember sharing, uh, just conversation. You know, spreading awareness. These things also matter as much you know it's like that old cliche every vote counts like every voice counts and i think reminding people of their power and their voice i just it just feels so good and it's so important to to lift people up because there was a time in my life where i felt like maybe people didn't want to hear my voice particularly because you know people know me now to be married to someone with quite a big voice there it kind of felt in the beginning that it came with 
you know, why are you talking? You're just married to someone. And I, if it wasn't for my mom being like, are you crazy? <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to post that or you don't want to say anything because you're saying too much? It's like, you know, to be kind of shut down or silenced by people, that's like one of the most dangerous places or boxes we can put ourselves in and put each other in. You know, it's one of the issues I think has been raised around cancel culture as well. And I have, a, you know, younger siblings that I'm worried have kind of become so closed off by this fear of voicing their opinions that they don't say anything at all. So the world tends to go in these extremes. You know, it needs to be a pendulum. We need to find the balance for it not to swing so far one way or so far the other way for it to kind of just stay in the middle because that backward forward is all right, but it needs to have a, a balance. I'm curious about, were you, were you always someone who was comfortable using your voice? Like, what was your journey like there? Was it ever... Were you in such, I'm sure you were because all of us have been and especially as women and especially like you're a black woman, I'm a woman of color, like we've all been in rooms where, you know, other people don't look like us or it's atypical yeah. for us to use our voices. Um, and I'm curious about, so after you get married, we'll get to that of like, you know, the, what you said there, if your mom's saying, well, you have to use your voice, are you, what is this? Yeah. But even before that, like, were you someone who was comfortable using your voice? I'm curious about at what point did, was there a shift for you? Oh my gosh, like I'm a black Muslim woman and I grew up in an area where no one really looked like me. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up super shy and I think part of being tall, you kind of get this like tall poppy syndrome where you're like, oh, I'm just gonna hide. Like, I think I even developed bad posture from it. <laughs> you know? so I was so painfully shy and it wasn't until I think I felt this urge to fight because I had gone through do you, like you get to that point where you've experienced so much pushback that I've just got to fight to survive and I think kind of happens to every woman at, at some point where you realize wow if I don't lift myself up out of this I'm just gonna go further back down into this hole that someone's dug for me so I think kind of realizing that I needed to put up some resistance only helped and then kind of build the confidence and once you overcome one tackle or, or tackle one thing then you you kind of you build that right so it's a process it's never like it switches overnight and I mean even seven years ago if someone had asked me I probably would have said no I'm too shy oh I don't think I could speak in front of people I don't think I could do this podcast oh my god I can't even imagine doing a podcast years ago. so I feel like you know I've probably come a long way but it's not to say that other people can it's just don't ever look that it's going to happen overnight it is so much a progression. And unfortunately, it's a lot of times the situations that life puts us in. So if you could go back to Sabrina seven years ago and you're like giving her that pep talk that she like desperately needs because she has to go on a podcast, what are you going to tell her to do? Like not do that it, it has to be one thing, <laughs> but like, do you have like, what, what was your process of like just getting through it? I think the point where it really shifted for me because a lot of times there was so much anxiety like and and I I um like anxiety presents itself in me through like acid reflux like butterflies in my stomach so like physical symptoms that I was like I I'm gonna puke if I get up on that podium and talk I think it was getting through the first one and then having a group of people to remind you you did it look you did it and then you're like oh you're right I did do it I didn't collapse or pass out or you know and, and even if I had potentially these people same people would have been like you still did it and I think having that support system really gave me this kind of comfort of like you know what they're the people I really care about and they thought I did a great job 
So I'm just going to keep going. Um, but you, it takes so long to build confidence. It does. Some people are just inherently born with it. And I'm, I'm envious of people like that because it was a journey for me. I feel like... This is my hot take of the day. Um, I'm like, is anyone really born with it? Or are we just like in circumstances where we're allowed to be confident or like enabled to be confident? Interesting. I think when I look at some people, I'm convinced they're born with it. I'm just like, it's like, you know, the gift of gab. And, you know, that's what it's called, right? And you could just like freeload on someone with all these amazing and you are a prodigy and (laughs) i mean it seems like you're like that too so oh well i'll take it now (laughs) it's been a long road (laughs) i completely completely get that and i know for me it's it's very it's still very scary sometimes going into a room and Mm -hmm. using my voice and i know i have a voice and i know that like very often at least i'm allowed into the room And even when I started this job a year and a half ago, I remember having a chat with a friend and I was like, well, you know, there's a room with like 15 people in it and I'm still the only person who isn't white in this room. Right, right. Sometimes affording yourself the space to, you know, the place that you need to be in Mm -hmm. to be able to use your voice matters because, you know, when we think about representation and how much that can shift a person's perspective, it's because they found themselves in a place where, or in a situation where they see somebody like them yeah. doing the things that they want to be doing and can't take that for granted. If my mom wasn't so vocal and like such a confident person, you know, that probably wouldn't have given me the foresight or ability to think okay I can be like her like you know I can do what she's doing and subconsciously in my mind she was always there I'm thinking of how powerful she is and you know that helps push me but when you find yourself in a room full of people that don't look like you you think how did I get here and it starts you know to kind of eat at you a bit so you know people talk about it enough how important representation is and I'm definitely flying fly that flag and have you ever, I mean, you've talked about it a little, so I think the answer is yes, of like imposter syndrome, right? The sense of like, I'm, I'm the only one who looks like me, or you've done so many new things where you've had to be, I imagine, in rooms where it's your first time in a room having that conversation about agriculture and you are surrounded by farmers and agriculture experts. And it's like, absolutely, absolutely. But I think some of the worst is, you know, when you're in a room where, there's a situation, situational thing that you feel you can't quite relate to. And I find, you know, particularly in, in rural areas, I get this like, oh, what am I doing here? Like these people need so much. And I feel like I don't understand. I can, I can only begin to understand what they are going through on a daily basis. And that type of imposter syndrome haunts me because I, I always, you know, want to relate to people and you, and you, but you do that by being there and being present with them. And I think imposter syndrome in any situation, you kill it by doing it you know, just do it. So I have to remind myself of that. But there's been situations for sure, like in everyday life, you know, I find myself meeting someone like, you know, the royal family, for instance, or something. And I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> hold on a second. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to pretend they're just like my neighbor or something. It's just like, <laughs> get through it um but there's been situations for sure that and it's such an annoying thing imposter syndrome but then i also am wary of people who never have it you know if you there's never a sense of like yeah i don't know like how are you doing that how are you i I guess you're just never pushing yourself yeah right true true like to be uncomfortable is to grow for sure i saw this amazing video once of this guy relating the um you know metamorphosis that happens in sort of like a 
cocoon with a caterpillar where it has to literally rip itself apart to like expand and how uncomfortable that must be to kind of grow into the beautiful thing that it's growing into and I always think about okay if you're uncomfortable you're probably doing something right because you're pushing yourself in a new direction and you're expanding your boundaries so now I'm like okay I can do this I could go to this party where I don't know a single person <laughs> I'm just gonna talk Probably not about agriculture because no one wants to. That's the best party talk. Oh, <laughs> best dinner party guest. <laughs> well, you have something different, right? Most I imagine most parties people don't know a ton about agriculture, so you are like oh, the interesting agriculture woman. That's then. true. It was yeah. a unique conversation. But I'm also a philosophy major, so I find myself in that position quite often. So deep chats about our agriculture is what we get with you. Deep agricultural chats. <laughs> It's it's so relatable that this is like literally my life this week where I'm like invited to a party where I don't know anyone. I'm right. Like, I, I, I will go. I do the thing of like I tell myself it's finite. So I will say like I have have to get through two hours. I've lived lots of two hour chunks of my life before and I can. I love that. I actually do that too. I actually go, oh, it's two hours or it's an hour. And it, it for some reason mentally it minimizes the amount of stress or uncomfortability you're going to go through, right? Because you try to relate it to, oh, I've had so much uncomfortability in my life. So this yeah. is this is two hours of doing it. I can do it. I can do another two hours, right? I do that too. That's so funny. I'm like I, I for sure would go to an event and I'm like, oh, I only have to be there an hour. Oh, great. <laughs> Why do we do that to ourselves? It's so funny, but it does help, doesn't it? It's just like having an end point, right, to yeah. the discomfort where we know the discomfort is important or necessary or a part of life. And it's like, well, it'll end eventually and I get to be yeah. comfortable again. Yeah, that is what it is. That's like with anything too, an end goal mm-hmm. will push you harder. Like when you're at the, the gym and you know you have like two minutes left on the thing, you're like, okay, I can do two minutes. But like the last five minutes you were struggling, but for some reason seeing that end goal, you're like, it's only two minutes. But are you the kind of, I know I am the kind of person and given the number of different types of things in that, it seems from the outside at least that you keep pushing yourself. You might be similar of like, when I see the end goal, the panic hits very quickly also of like, oh, yeah. well, I have to do the next thing then. Like, I thought I was, I, I thought I was good, right? Like I was achieving right. to this point and it's like, okay, it's time to like think about what's next now and it's, right. it never ends. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. And I unfortunately find myself in a lot of uncomfortable positions <laughs> in that sense, but I'm thankful looking back like you never look back at something you grew from and went oh my god this is so frustrating I have to live this way (laughs) you know you think oh wow I did that like you actually get this like sense of pride so like I'm going with that feeling I'm going with like that yeah I did that I overcame that I put myself in yet another position that I had no idea what I was doing and I did it how are you like leaning into discomfort right now where are you trying to be uncomfortable right now That's a really good question. I think actually, and this might sound a bit odd, but in my home life, trying to be um, a bit more present maybe in the way that the familial pressure (laughs) would like me to, to move into motherhood, for instance, is terrifying to me and I don't know why I mean I'm a stepmom to three amazing kids so and the youngest I've known since he was two so in a sense I've been there kind of done it but there's this sort of sitting into or like easing into that I'm finding a trouble figuring out how to start I feel like it's going to be like an uncomfortable shift for me part of the reason is because I think you know I've just started on this journey of doing so much it's hard for me to imagine having the, enough time and the sacrifices that that would create for obviously a really good reason, but, but there is sacrifice. I mean, I watched my mom, you know, my mom was a single mom, took five kids 
And I, she's only just now, as my youngest brother is 21, starting to live her life. <laughs> you know, and the amount of sacrifice and, and love and attention she's given us has made me really take it super seriously. It's not something that I wanted to just do. It's something I, w- I want to be ready for. But then people say, you'll never be ready. Right. <laughs> you want to do it well, right? And it's like, you want to do it well. What even is well? Because it's never going to like parenting will never end parenting never ends that's another thing my mom actually recently said to me where i think i can't remember where we were we were somewhere in africa i think we were in rwanda sorry um she'd come along recently and she was like picking up my bag for me and i was like where yeah (laughs) perfectly capable (laughs) thank you she's like she's your mother yeah she's like parenting never ends (laughs) i was like oh yeah right she's always gonna have this sense of i need to help i need to do something i need to you know be aware also of like how you how you are right like how you're occupying space like do you need anything just yeah are you okay it's so true it's so true so that's a position that i'm kind of wary of but also you know excited to see how it unfolds i look around at my friends who have children now and it's just not the same. It's not the same. There are certain things that should just be afforded to people. I think, you know, I think freezing your eggs for one, you should not have to pay. I don't think anyone should have to pay, but I think like just basic child support and care for people who are trying to get by, these things should be, you know, either subsidized more or, you know, handed out. And I mean, that's the conversation for another day probably, but <laughs> you know, it's the world's really hard for mothers. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not set up at all to And and as you as you mature, you start to understand and women who you've met along the way who have excelled in their career, you start to understand, oh, they didn't have children. Yeah. You know, and you think, Oh my gosh, is this only going to be <laughs> you know, a, a block if I want to do it the way that I want to do it to get to places that I want to in my career? But you of course you try not to think like that, but motherhood involves sacrifice. And a lot of the times it's it's all in the mother, right? Yeah. You know, so. It's the whole like, can women have it all? And yeah. the best answer I've ever heard is not at once. Oh, I love that. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. It's like a, how do you think about the, the daily sacrifices? Because it's always going to be the trade-offs. Uh, why do we have it so tough? You know, and I mean, well, of course we know one. I see it so much in the work that I'm doing. Like a lot of the rural people that we visit when it comes to smallholder farmers, women are doing everything, carrying children on their back while they're, you know, doing work in the field and then trying to fight all of the systemic barriers that come, you know, either sometimes from cultural things or just a lack of of growth, you know, in, in places. And then you think the men are off at the bar. Yes. Yep. You know, and this is why it is so important to have gender fairness and gender equality, right? And it's why it's one of the SDG goals, because you see villages move when women are empowered. You see things shift and see things happen because we do so much. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's hearing you talk about it where I spent years reporting in South Asia, which I think is very similar to parts of Africa. You've probably done work in, in terms of how it works when you said the men are at the bar, where I spent a lot of time with women who, um, a lot of them were migrating to be able to support their families and they would send money home and it was like, how's the money going to get spent? Is it going to get spent on just like the men doing whatever they want? Probably yeah. yes. But yes. also they were actually st- statistically, yes, <laughs> as well, yeah. you know, unfortunately. And then yeah. they were often so often faulted for not being good mothers 
which was the really interesting mix of it where they were like we're just trying to keep like our families alive yeah do the work outside the house do the work inside the house you know you like you said you you can't have it all at once it's it's just a toll it's just a massive toll and it feels like it's kind of the same like it's obviously very 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 different but it's a shade of the same conversation that happens even us sitting in london thinking about what motherhood does for a woman it's it like it's all about identity as well right it's what's possible and what parts of your identity have to become smaller to accommodate yeah yeah it is i mean i literally am having that inner dialogue when i have these conversations you know myself from my family and it is it's identity it's a huge part of it it's also it's for me at least identity feels like something that is constantly being negotiated and yeah. It feels like you have something to say. <laughs> you just sighed there. No, it's just a sense of like, oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> so true. Constantly being negotiated. I'm also a Gemini. I don't know if that plays into it further, where I think I tend to t- be one person one day and then want to be someone else the next day and then want to be. And there's been times in my life where I've completely changed either a career trajectory or, you know, a personal goal or, or something on a whim. And I think, you know, for some people, they're quite strategic about it. I have a younger brother who is the most consistent person you've ever met. So reliable. <laughs> like, you know, I am not that person in the sense that I always want to move and grow and experience new things. And by doing that, I tend to negotiate with myself on who I want to be that morning, that day, that week, that year. And I'm finding that to bring it back into the motherhood conversation, who I want to be in the next three years. Yeah. You know, um, I won't be able to do all the things I'm doing. That's a fact. That's a given. I know that, right? I, and I won't want to, probably. Yeah. I want to be at home, right? So, um, you know, it's just having that constant negotiation. How have you, like, managed that negotiation with yourself in the past? Like, thinking about, like, you're thinking into the future with motherhood and, like, yeah. figuring out what do I want. But there's also, like, the, the at least I find the negotiation of, like, this is how I think the world will perceive me. This is what doors will open or close. And so much of it is like, what am I willing to give up of myself? Interesting. I'm quite good, as I'm realizing now, probably being selfish in my negotiation. Mm -hmm. I'm probably less affected by where other people or other people think I should be. Yeah. Because I tend to go, oh, that's something I really want to do. I'm going to try and do it. Mm -hmm. This is something I don't want to do. I'm probably not going to do it. Um, whereas for some people, I can understand that that would be another added factor. Yeah. My personal negotiation is always something I'm working on. It's not. Uh, it's never going to be a perfect science. I don't think. I don't think it's ever a place that we all feel we've mastered or, you know, feel comfortable in. I tend to approach it by day to day, kind of like, <laughs> which probably means I put it on the back shelf for a bit. But you find when you live in the present. Mm-hmm that kind of does some of the work for you because yeah. it's like, well, no, you have to go this way because you want to do this today and you have to do and you don't want to do this. And rather than trying to sit back and look at a big scope, it also has, you know, allowed me the convenience of, of putting things off for a very long time. Um, so I've become this procrastinator when it comes to it in that sense that I don't want to be. Um, so I think it's a constant struggle. It's constant learning and uh, getting older doesn't help. So don't we? I can figure it out with age. I'm like, really? I'm like 35 now. I'm not quite there yet. I mean, you're still young. Still time. No, I'll take it. It's also like life is in, it sounds very like life is in the living, right? Yeah. But it's so funny because I feel young. I still feel so young. You are young. But 
you find yourselves in rooms where people go, oh, like, and it reminds me of when I was like 22 or 23 thinking like, she's 35. I used to think 35 was so old and now I'm almost there. I'm like, yeah, that that's nothing. Yeah, it's so funny how that perspective shifts. Like, when does that happen? That we're like, what, what do you mean? Like, that's so we have so much life to live and so much to learn because your world is so small when you're young. It's your school, your family, you're like, you know. And then you realize, oh my god, I have so much to do that I can do. That all of a sudden, thirty five feels like, okay, I've still got time. You know, I just at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just the beginning. Yeah, which is not how a lot of people think. Which it's like lovely to encounter someone else who also feels that way, where I feel like I'm surrounded by, I'm 33 and a lot of people around me are like, you know, we've got to figure our lives out now. Like we're, we're, we're in our thirties where we're at that point. It's time to like really settle into the rest of our lives. And I'm like, settle into, don't we, don't we mean live? I mean, didn't they just extend retirement in so many countries? (laughs) You know, we're going to live longer and longer. That's a reality, which actually is quite amazing when you think about it right that we found humanity in this position now where it's like centennial that's that's a word you hear a lot and i'm like i even remember growing up if you said your grandma in school was like 90 something people would gasp like oh my gosh she's 90 but now you know my um steph's on his his nine when he's like you know his um grandma i think she's just turned 100 so it he yeah. just said it with like yeah she's 100 now yeah you know yep <laughs> wow only 30 percent 35 percent of the way through so there's a long way to go yeah we're gonna need to start rethinking about how we think about 33 35 (laughs) i like this way of thinking (laughs) the way there you know i'm curious also this this ties to something you mentioned earlier of um when in terms of like identity and defining yourself when you talked about your mom being like dude use your voice right like and i've read things you've said about this in the past of like you married someone with a persona right and he has a a big persona and you had to like carve out space to still be yourself and still be sabrina and still be seen and known as who you are and i'm just curious about what that process was like for you of like you're it's not like the world is putting an identity on you of like something you don't want right like you obviously love him you're together because you love each other you chose to get married and also you are your own person you're not just his wife you're yeah it's it's equal parts embracing it because you're so happy to be there and and equal parts you know finding ways to kind of fight through it to have your own identity and even in the conversations even in the conversations where i'm talking about wanting to find my own identity i find they become labeled as you know it yourself as wife said <laughs> and i always find that so funny <laughs> she said don't define me by him so we decided to do just that <laughs> exactly which i actually think is quite funny and i think you know it has to do with a little a bit of you know his how big yeah. he is and and i only want him to be bigger so i'm not going to then be like you know let's pull let's let's hold back on a little bit of his persona you know like i just it actually probably gives me a passion to do more and it's like well, I'm, I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And eventually, you know, that will speak for itself. I'm curious about when, if there was like, was it just a conversation with your mother? Was there like a, because so yeah. many people, especially so many women get defined by our relationships to the men in our world, right? It's yeah. just yeah, how for me, it, it was a, a super direct conversation with my mom where I, I literally was like, oh, I don't want to say this. And I was asked to write an op-ed. And I was like, oh, it'll just be like, Sabrina Alba Idris's 
wife has written this piece on and you know she was like you are so fortunate that anyone has asked you to do that you're doing it don't ever be afraid to use your voice and she and was, no my mom's a very silly fun person like she's you know she's serious when she needs to be and she's fighting for us but to talk to me the way that she did that day because I think she saw this shift in how I felt about using my voice and she was like not today <laughs> not today like you know you need it is an absolute privilege to be able to speak to one person two people an audience to write an op-ed it is an absolute privilege and to understand that privilege and embrace it I'm so happy that she was just sort of like smack me out of it <laughs> that's it's also like it sounds like she's a very powerful like level-headed person oh right? my gosh she is powerful she walks in a room and like everyone looks at her she has she owns herself in a way that i can only aspire to she absolutely owns who she is and you know she's so calm for someone who you know like she didn't have shoes till she was seven sometimes i say that to her I'm like mom you're here you didn't even like you know like i mean she grew up in circumstances most people don't find themselves out of yeah and then brought all her siblings to you know canada where she found herself in when she married my dad and and essentially saved a lot of our family from the civil war that happened just after she left you know and she's a powerful person powerhouse and i love like i love taking her with me now <laughs> oh look look what i'm doing <laughs> but she somehow finds a way to just make the moment even bigger and grander i'm like oh of course i needed you you didn't need me <laughs> it's also like a beautiful like an arc of you know she she left for a better life yeah and you keep building on that right it's not oh. you haven't gotten complacent you're still building yeah that's the kind of stuff that makes me emotional because when i think about her life and her her life story and and the things that she did to make sure that we like you know my mom was in an abusive relationship for a very long time with my stepdad and at the time it was very hard for us to have the conversation to even understand why she stayed I mean, everything was for us yeah you know and me and my siblings and i'm like oh. and you don't realize these things until you look back at them yeah. as a big picture and she's a victim of fgm you know and we weren't even able to have that conversation until i started advocating for the issue i was advocating for something that she had been yeah. involved in without ever having a conversation about how she personally experienced it and i realized you know these are conversations particularly with parents that come with maturity understanding the sacrifices they, that they've made the fact that I almost killed her while she was giving birth, you know, like yeah. my mind was blown and I was like, oh my gosh, like if I could be an ounce of who she is and contribute an ounce of what she's contributed, I'll feel super fulfilled. It's also, it's, I, I completely get that. And it's something that like, I have to remind myself of like, we're not supposed to know when we're children. Yeah. Like that meant that she was protecting you and doing her Absolutely. job as a parent as well. And it sounds like as you have like dug into understanding the world you've also started to understand her better which is like all yeah. you can hope for right yeah and i find myself trying to make a better world for the little girl that my mom was mm. a lot of the issues that i advocate for and and fight for are to help people who are in situations like she was and even the work i do locally for domestic abuse victims subconsciously i fall into these things because i find myself yeah. trying to fight her fights yeah you know and she already fought them she doesn't need me but <laughs> It's also for the next generation, right? Yeah. It's to make sure it doesn't happen again where yeah. we all have something that drives us and it makes sense that it's personal because otherwise, how will yeah. you understand? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Exactly. It comes back to that understanding and educating yourself around something and listening to different perspectives. And I'm so thankful now we can have these conversations. Yeah. Most of the time, I'm like an emotional tea bag. I'm just like, <laughs> but some of the times we get to a place where I'm like, ah, you just helped me think of something I can start up or a program because, you know, she has a way of being like, well, I never had that. And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> perfect sense and it becomes this like mutually um beneficial conversation not only for us emotionally but for me from an activism perspective to think oh my god no one's thought of that (laughs) let me go back to agencies or or organizations that i'm working with and think have you guys thought that and it does give me an insight sometimes conversations that i'm like so thankful to her for it's also incredible that for most people the it would stop at oh, you didn't have that. I'm so fortunate that I have that. And you're like, well, how do I make sure everyone has it? Like, how do I change the entire world to make sure no other girl ever has to go through this? Which isn't how it generally works, right? We tend to stop at like, I feel so fortunate. But I I am so, so lucky to be working with the groups and, and, you know, like, and I literally, I can't go out anymore without getting a business card about an NGO or an organization or like, and I love that. I, I get, I've sort of built this community around me of amazing organizations that I only want to constantly think about. Um, so I, I love that. When you think about what you are most excited, I hate the, the most questions, but the most excited about right now, or what are you excited about right now in terms of like, this is the stuff that l- wakes you up in the morning and you're like so excited to get going because you're like, I'm going to do this, or like, yeah. this is an issue I'm working on, or this is what I'm learning about, or this is how I'm going to make a change. Like what is, what is lighting the fire right now? Yeah. I, because I'm such like a present day to day person, it's hard for me to think like the most excited, like wait, next year, like I don't, wait, today, what was the thing today? <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's but, today. Yeah. Like for today, this conversation for sure, was super exciting to me by the end of the year, there's a replenishment for a big organization I work with. I'm super excited for that. By the start of next year, we might be able to raise enough to build this wall that I was like, you know, and it, it happens in these sort of these phases and yeah. You know, I mean, even people think like, oh, you go to this gallery, you go to this thing. All these things add up and matter in your sort of energy or momentum towards something bigger, right? So I, I try to think of it in like little chunks. Um, but I can't, it's funny, I can't, even answer, I can't even answer that question long term. I'm like, what's wrong with me? It's also like the, for me personally, this is like a lesson because I fall into the pit. I'm a very hopeful person, but I fall into the dis- pit of despair sometimes of like, well, all these little things aren't really like adding up to any, like, how do I know right. that they're going to add up to something, right? Like, how right. do I but have they the faith? Are. They do. They always do. Everything's a stepping stone, which is like a really nice perspective to have, right? Every little thing happens uh, or every little thing that happens matters. Like you woke up and said hi to somebody in the elevator. Yeah. These things all matter and when you start to think about it like that like I actually like that I'm like oh I'm gonna master this I can master getting my coffee in the morning I can master like you know getting to bed at a time that I wanted to get to because you just know you're building on yourself we are ultimately our end goals right making ourselves happy I hope that should be everyone's end goal and whatever fulfills you whether that's giving to someone else or receiving whatever it is you should be always looking to make yourself happy life is so short and long (laughs) That's really beautiful that we are our own end goals. Yeah, we should be, for sure. How, how would you think about, again, I'm asking a question that if anyone turned on me, I'd be like, I have no <laughs> idea. And sometimes people in your chair do that to me. I'm like, 
that was such a great question to ask not a great one to answer but right. when you think about the end goal not it being a static thing but like the type of person you want to be yeah, yeah. like we started out talking about legacy right and like yeah. how you'll be remembered and I'm curious about how do you want to be remembered like what is the end goal in, yeah. in your mind of like this is Sabrina a wonderful human who existed in the world and we're so happy she was here like what would that person well you already are but like for you what would Aww. be enough um no I definitely would be about how I've given back because I find this you know passion to do so but how that's defined will be what work has been done so I think you know if I want to be remembered by anything it's probably because somebody has benefited off of that Mm -hmm. and without even everyone knowing if they have that makes me super happy it's also nice because it's then in the it's in the doing and not like in the yeah, yeah. The bigger, okay. like, how it's framed by the world or how, like... Yeah, because they'll probably get it wrong anyways. Yeah. We're women. <laughs> yeah, that's just life. Yeah, it's just life. <laughs> it brings me to my final question, which we ask everyone. So this podcast is called yeah. Little Revolutions. Yes. With the idea being that there is so much big and systemic, and we've talked a lot about the big and systemic, right? Like, there's so yeah. much that is broken in the world, and it often feels so much bigger than any one of us could even begin to like try and tackle and so many of the people listening to this are young women like 19 year old you or me right and who are at the beginnings of their journeys yeah and trying to trying to make things trying to make their lives a little better trying to make their communities a little kinder trying to make the world a little better and it can sometimes feel so daunting especially like when you look at any of the things we've talked about right the climate crisis gender inequality agriculture it's it's all broken and but we all have agency we all have power otherwise what's the point um so thinking about like what little revolutions you would tell 19 year old you or me to make or like what advice would you give them in terms of like here are some things you can do and that's that's a way to start you know and this is i'm fortunate enough to have younger siblings and i'm now literally just thinking what do i need to tell them what do you tell them if you're watching (laughs) um no it would genuinely be about embracing community that's something that took me a little bit longer to realize the privilege and importance of in my life and i find younger people now because the world has pushed us in further online and you know in, in situations where we're probably less present with other people physically is embracing community. You learn from other people. You know, you experience everything almost having experienced it through or by someone else. Mm-hmm. And don't take that for granted. And also networking. We forget, like, do you remember, like, when we were growing up, people would say, like, our parents would say to us, oh, go to that event and network. And, like, LinkedIn isn't going to do it. It's not going to cut it, okay? You need to show up, <laughs> to show up and be present. And um, because you will find someone who is passionate about you mm-hmm. just by doing that. And people who are passionate about you will take you so far. And I've realized I'm so thankful for anyone who has opened a door for me because they they found a passion in whatever I was doing or something I said. I'm so, so thankful because there's I've had so many doors open that I wouldn't have opened myself. It's also, I'm, I'm curious about, so what you mentioned about doesn't just happen on LinkedIn, where we often hear about, just like, especially since the pandemic, right? Like people are so much more isolated and it's it's just been hard, especially Scary. for young people who have come up in a very like isolated world or yeah do we have even people here who like finished university and graduated and it all happened on zoom and 
yeah their first workplaces were entirely virtual and they just like weren't surrounded by people and we've all kind of like fallen yeah. into our silos and are trying to find our ways back to each other yeah. how, like how have you you've moved across the world and you've like lived in different places you've entered different spheres like how have you found community very actionably like it's what what have you done when you've been like looking for community what's your first step a lot of it is putting yourself in that uncomfortable position that we were talking about earlier you're going to this party tonight you know it is so i think hard for let's call them gen z whatever you want to call them I'm a millennial, you know, I will own that, um, to take themselves outside of the structures that society has now boxed them into, because it's, it's not even inherently one person's fault, you know, I would never say, oh, you're such an introvert, it's, but there's so much working towards you being an introvert, you know, I wouldn't even say it's any one person's fault, it's to, how have you challenged yourself to ask yourself that question? Where can I go? What can I do? How do I meet someone? And it's so hard. It's so much easier said than done. But you just have to keep asking yourself, how can I challenge myself Mm -hmm. to be able to be in that position where you go, okay, I'm comfortable. I'm going to do it because it's important. Realizing it's important. And I think not enough people tell you it's important now. Like I was saying, you know, when we were younger, we used to hear how important it was. People don't share how important it is. It's one of the first things you learn in school. Like the buddy system holds someone's hand and you go to the bathroom. Like, yeah. you know, we come a long way from doing that yeah. <laughs> you know, by the time we hit 35. Like people are so important. People are so important. We are not, uh, you know, a species that lives in isolation. We are one that embraces community, the importance of the village. You know, this felt like the pep talk I needed to go to this party. So thank you. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> it's just going to be two hours. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, no, I feel like we talked about things I didn't even think we talked about, which is so refreshing. So nice. So I just want to say thank you so much for having me on here. I think, you know, just again, recognizing that this is it's an honor for me. It's a privilege. So thank, thank you so you. much for being here. It's been the loveliest conversation. Oh, thanks. It has been a really good one. Thank you to Sabrina for this wonderful conversation. To learn more about her and her work, check out our show notes. And thank you for listening to Little Revolutions, a podcast brought to you by Frida. I'm Masuma Ahuja, your host and head of content here at Frida. This episode was produced by Claire Richardson and Marta Mazur and edited by Holly Galloway.